How do you know or how do you show what you're into? How do you tell what you're a follower of? How do you show people those things that you love? So I think it's easy for a lot of us to throw on a t-shirt, right? To show our favorite church or our favorite sports team. And we know some people take it to extremes, but I think one of the often ways to show who we are and what we're into is by what we wear. So how about this guy? Now, these are, bad, these are the bad guys. Raiders fans. But Raiders fans want you to know who they follow, don't they? <laughs> oh, that's good. So, but yeah, a lot of it is, how do we show who we follow? Or, or maybe you're a fan of a band, you know, and you want to dress up your kids like that band in college, you know, in high school or for Halloween or something like that. Or, or maybe it's your faith and you want to show your faith. And so it's all based on how you dress. And so you dress like this guy, right? And you, we all know it. that's a monk. And, um, you know, so, so yeah, how do we show people what we're into or what does it look like to follow? Or, or I wonder, what are the requirements to follow? Like, like I want you to ask yourself a question. Like, as a believer, if you have said yes to Jesus, how do you show others that you follow, and what are the requirements to follow? I mean, sometimes I think of the idea of requirements, like joining a group or joining a club. Anybody in a fraternity in college, you guys know what that's like. I joined a business fraternity in, at Mizzou, and I remember I had to memorize the Greek alphabet, which did come in handy later. But, you know, it was this idea you had to maintain a certain grade point average. You got to do certain things to, to stay in the club. How about joining a motorcycle group, right? You got to grow a sweet beard. You got to have a leather jacket with leather vest with no sleeves and patches, right? Uh, you got to have a certain type of bike. There's just certain requirements and certain things that we think we need to do to belong or to be part of a group. But I wonder, what does it look like to follow Jesus? How do people tell? And what are the requirements? And let me lean in just a second further. How do your neighbors, your coworkers, the guy at Grease Monkey, when you're getting your oil changed, how do they know who you follow? Can they tell it because you're wearing the T-shirt? Or is there a way they tell it another way? Because I wonder if we ask those people, would they say that we just look like everybody else? You know, I think this is a really important topic for us to think through. Because I think the reality is that a lot of people think of faith as this intellectual thing. It's this thing that we can kind of grasp intellectually, and faith is something that it defines who I am, the way I think about myself, but it doesn't necessarily change the way I live. And so I can wear the T-shirt. I can paint my face like a Raiders fan. Rodney, you missed it. I had a Raiders picture up here just a minute ago. I had one for you. You can do all those things. But if you look like everybody else, then has your, your faith really set in? Right? Has your faith really set in to be who you are? So I want you to think of it like this. Like faith and action are intertwined together. So you, you can believe something is true. You can believe that the, the moon reflects the light from the sun. But how does that change your life? Are you like staying up later, right? Like reading Tolkien at night with the moonlight? I mean, how does that change the way you live? Think of it like this. You can believe in George Washington. Here's the coolest picture of George, George Washington I could find. You can believe in George Washington. You can believe that George Washington lived. You can believe that George Washington did some good things. By the way, he did not cut down the cherry tree. I'm just telling you guys. Take it from me. But you could, you know, if you want to believe, you can. But you can believe George Washington did a lot of great things. But how does it really impact the way you live? 
outside of buying a sweet Dodge Challenger. Like, you might do that. But how does it change the way you live outside of that? See, here's what I want us to see today, that following Jesus is different. Following Jesus is more than just this intellectual belief. Following Jesus requires you to do something with that belief. I've heard it said like this, to say you believe in Jesus, but don't follow, empties belief of what it means. And so this concept is, the reality is, we can't see Jesus as the Savior of the world and not have it change our actions and the way we live. So here's the question I want to answer today. What does it look like to follow Jesus, and what are the requirements? Well, we're going to see in Mark 1 and Luke 5 a really beautiful picture in the gospel. So if you have your Bibles, let's look here at Mark chapter one, I want to just touch on Mark 1 before we dive in deeper in Luke. So Mark chapter 1, if you're flipping in your Bibles, Matthew, Mark, second book of the Bible, Mark 1, verse 14. Here's what we read. Now after John was arrested, John the Baptist had been arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Now, if you've been with us the past few weeks, we've been walking through the early life of Jesus, the early ministry of Jesus. We've seen Jesus is born miraculously. We see that he goes and is baptized, and, and, and the Holy Spirit comes down on him like a dove, and God says, this is my son. We saw last week that Jesus tempted in the desert, and that Jesus faces, uh, faces the, the, the devil, and there's this, this really interesting exchange where Jesus fulfills all of the areas that we fall short in. And then we come here today and we see that Jesus is out preaching. He's out now. The ministry has begun. He's telling people to repent and, and get ready because the kingdom of God is at hand. Because he's bringing that kingdom at God and he's starting to get a following. We see that he starts to heal people. He's beginning to teach about the kingdom of heaven. He's casting out demons. And so th- there begins this falling around Jesus and people begin to go, hey, that's, G- that's a Jesus guy. Like, you've heard about him, right? Like, that, that's, the, that's the guy. Like, let's go hear what he has to say. And, and, and so we see in verse 16, notice this. We see he calls his first disciples. Verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brothers of Simon, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, I don't know about you guys. If you're familiar with this. Calling of these disciples. I don't know about you guys, but I'm always amazed at their faith, aren't you? Like, wow, man, Peter and Andrew and James and John, like the faith of these guys. They don't even know Jesus yet. Like, they probably have heard about him. They're like, look, there's Jesus. He's the guy that can throw the football over the mountain over there, like a quarter mile. He would have won state in 82. Like, this is the guy we've heard all these things about. Let's follow him. And I'm always amazed at their, at their faith. But then part of me goes, really? You just followed? You just heard a rumor about him and you got up and you left? That that seems a little bit curious to me. And here's one thing I I love about God's word is that God's word does never never contradicts itself, but it complements itself. Say that, it complements. God's word complements itself. That's why we, when we read the four Gospels, we bring them together. We see this beautiful picture of who Jesus was. Each of the authors gives us a little more detail in certain areas. Thankfully, Luke gives us some really amazing details that fill in the gap in this story. So flip one more book to your right. Luke chapter 5. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 5. Let's, let's hear about this from Luke's voice. 
after Luke did all his research on what happened here. Notice this, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or by the, by the, yeah, the lake of Gennesaret, which is better known as the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee was this huge body of water that was right where near Jesus lived. And a lot of Jesus' ministry happened at the Sea of Galilee. And one of the things Jesus loved to do was he loved to teach by water. Anybody know why? It was a natural amplifier. So Jesus could teach by water. People could stand around there. His voice would, would amplify off the water, and he could teach to a larger crowd. So you'll notice Jesus does a ton of his teaching right around this Lake of Gennesaret, or the, it's the same thing, the Sea of Galilee, just two different names. And so we see that Jesus is here, that he's standing there, and he looks over, verse 2, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And so Jesus sees these two boats, he, he, he walks over, in uh, that day, these fishermen, it was so hot during the day, they, they didn't fish during the day. You know, if you guys are fishermen, you know fish go down lower where it's cooler during the day when the sun's up. So they would fish at night. And they weren't out there with a fly rod or, uh, you know, a spin caster or whatever. They were dragging nets through the water to try to catch fish. And so this is probably the morning time. Jesus is out. He's taking a nice stroll. The crowd's following him. He's starting to teach about the kingdom of God. He sees these boats there, but the fishermen are out of them because they're, they're washing their nets. They're washing the, you know, tobacco cans and all of the, you know, cream corn cans and all that stuff out of those nets. And, and so th- then Jesus sees these boats, and he's like, you know, I'm going to get in this boat because if I can get in this boat, They'll be able to hear me better. So verse 3, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon, also Peter. Jesus changes his name later to Peter. He asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So here's Jesus, the rabbi, the one they've all heard about in the boat with Peter. And Andrew might have been there too. And he's teaching about the kingdom of God. And we don't know what he was teaching. Maybe he was saying that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Or the kingdom of God is like a man who found a, a, a treasure in a field. He went and sold everything he had so he could buy that field. But he's teaching these beautiful things about the kingdom of God. And, and we see that Peter's there and he's, he's soaking it in. And so notice this. Jesus gets done. He finished speaking. The crowd is like high-fiving each other like, good word, pastor. And they all kind of walk off. And then Jesus looks over at Peter and he says, hey, verse 4, check this out. This is good. He says this. He, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. Now, what's interesting about this, and you guys have probably heard this before if you're familiar with this text, but Peter's been fishing all night. Fishermen catch fish at night. They don't catch fish during the day. And so I'm sure Peter's like, yeah, come on, Jesus. Like, you're a carpenter. Go, like, whittle something, right? Like, tell, me to, tell me to fish. But Peter's a good Jewish boy, and he says, okay, Cool, let's do it. Jesus, let's have a little laugh, okay? You think you know fishing? I'll teach you something or two. So they, they push out. They go out a little bit. Notice Peter says, Master, we told all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. So, okay, fine. Let's do it. Look at verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners, James and John, and they came over in another boat to help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. They caught so many fish, both boats are sinking. I mean, this is like ridiculous, right, at this point. They're like struggling to even get the fish in at this point. They're like, at what point do we just turn the fish away? Like, right, like, let's just stop because we've got so many fish. And and at this moment, it dawns on them that everything they had heard about Jesus was true. 
All these healings, all these miracles, giving sight to the blind, casting out demons, all this great teaching that they just heard Jesus teach. This is true. This is the guy. Like, he really can throw the football over the mountain, right? Like, this guy's amazing. And so look what Peter does. Notice this. Peter doesn't high five. He doesn't chest bump, TD celebrate, right? He doesn't handshake. He falls down on his knees. Look at verse 8. He said, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. And he didn't say, help me catch more fish. Instead, he said, leave. Notice what he says. Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And it says, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. Who, who do you think was with him? Peter, Andrew, James, John, and probably John and James' dad, Zebedee, which is a sweet name, by the way, Zebedee. It's a good name. So Peter's like, Jesus, leave me alone. I'm a sinful man. Get out of here. I do not deserve to be even around you right now. Peter basically says, Jesus, I'm a messy sinner. So I want to push pause there. I want to ask, okay, let's think about that story. What is the requirement to be part of Jesus' group, <laughs> right? Like, we see in Mark 1 that Jesus is like, James, John, Andrew, Peter, follow me, and I'll teach you how to fish. And they drop their nets and they follow. But now Luke gives us a little more context. We're like, oh, my gosh, that makes sense. They literally saw Jesus teach, and then they saw Jesus do a miracle right in front of them. So, of course, they followed. So what's the requirement to follow? See, don't miss this. Following Jesus is not blind faith. P people will say that about Christianity. Oh, it's just a blind faith. It's not a blind faith. Following Jesus is more than just knowing about Jesus. Following Jesus is about encountering Jesus. Like, following Jesus begins by encountering Jesus. And here why, here's how you know this is true. Here in a couple months, it's going to be Christmas time. You're going to turn on History Channel or Discovery Channel, and you're going to see a show about Jesus, the life of Jesus. Did Jesus really do this, or did Jesus do, do that? Come around Easter, you're going to read about the sh shows about the shroud of Jesus. And you're going to have all these Bible scholars who spend their life studying the Bible, who spend their life talking about Jesus, but yet they don't believe in Jesus. How could they spend so much time in a book, but yet not believe? They haven't encountered him. You can know about him, just like you do George Washington. Have you, you guys met George Washington? It would be really weird if you did. Like, <laughs> we need to encounter Jesus. That's where following Jesus begins. Think about this. When did Peter have faith? When did James, John, and Andrew have faith? Was it when they stepped out of the boat? Or was it when they saw Jesus do the miracle? They heard Jesus' teaching, and they fell down. Jesus, you are God. You are the son of God. Like, leave me. Like, I, I don't even deserve to be in your presence. When did faith begin? It was the point that they believed. And the grace of God is what saves us. We're, not, we're saved by grace through faith. I say this every week. I just want to just drill this in. We are saved by grace through faith, which means that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we believe that he is the son of God who lived a sinless life, who died on a cross and rose from the grave. We put our faith in that. We believe that. It's the grace of God that saves us. God imputes in our account the righteousness of Jesus. And that means it doesn't matter how strong my faith is when the storms come. And that means it doesn't matter how much faith I have. It's about how righteous he is. It's not me. It's him. 
But we have to have faith to believe. So God's grace then washes us clean. So Peter, James, John, all these guys right here, Andrew, they believe. They encountered Jesus. The Holy Spirit tugged on their heart and they said, this is true. So Jesus, I say yes to you. So let me ask you, what does it look like to be a, a part of the kingdom? What does it look like? To, what's the requirement to be in this group? Well, it's not a fee. You don't have to pay membership. You don't have to wear the t-shirt. You can, but you don't have to. You don't have to wear the vest with no sleeves, thankfully. Tristan would look good in it, though. But it's about saying yes to Jesus. And the reality is following God, following Jesus, doesn't come with a roadmap. But instead, it comes with saying, I trust you, and then letting Jesus lead us by the hand to where he's going to take us. See, remember what Mark said? He said, follow me, and I'll make you what? He did, but there's another word in there. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. See, there's this reality that a lot of, think, a lot of us, I think, we have. We say, well, I can't really believe yet. I can't really belong yet. I, I can't really just be there yet because I'm a mess. Like, my life's a mess. Things are difficult. I'm falling apart all over the place. Like, I, I don't belong. I haven't got it together yet. I need to become first. No. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. He doesn't say, go become expert fishers of men and come to me and then we'll go. See, notice this. I think this is what Jesus is saying. I will make you become. He says this, you don't become, then belong. Jesus says, you don't have to become before you belong. Rather, you belong before you become. The requirement is faith. It's just saying, yes, this is coming in. And Jesus is going to sanctify us. Over time, he's going to shape us and mold us to look more like him. So we belong first, and then we can become. Jesus is gradually and slowly shaping us. But here's the reality. It's it's not easy because there's a cost. A little bit later in the book of Matthew, I love this. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, if you're following along, it says this. Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man named Matthew, also known as Levi in some of the other Gospels. Matthew's writing about himself here. He saw a man named Matthew, and he walks up to Matthew, and he says, Hey, Matthew, follow me. And what does Matthew do? Rose up and followed him. And we don't have the same awesome story about what happened in the middle, but you know there was something that happened. Like Matthew had been watching, he had been listening, he had been seeing, he probably had been standing on the outside. And so Jesus came and gave him the invitation, and he's like, I'm going to go. I'm going to get up and follow. And here's what's interesting. Peter, James, John, and Andrew were fishermen. Fishermen aren't the cleanest of guys, right? I spent some time in Alaska with the dudes that are on the deadliest catch ships. Those dudes are tough. Like, they should be playing linebacker for the Broncos. I mean, telling you, these guys, these guys are tough. Like, fish hooks hanging out of their ears. And, I mean, these guys are tough. But tax collectors were even tougher. Tax collectors were actually even worse in that culture. I mean, tax collectors were the worst. It was like prostitutes and tax collectors. And here's Matthew. And everybody hates Matthew because he's been charging them over the top. And all of a sudden, Jesus walks up to Matthew and says, Hey, Matthew, come on. Come and follow me. It's like the prettiest girl in school asking the weirdest dude in school to go to prom, right? Or homecoming. Like, what? I'm sure the other disciples are like, seriously? Like this guy? Like, I don't want to be seen with him. Yet when Jesus calls Matthew to follow him, he declares something to the world. He declares something to us. And this is it. Don't miss this. This is beautiful. 
Jesus set the standard for what it takes to become a follower of Jesus. The requirement for what it follows to Jesus is this, that you don't have to be religious to follow Jesus. You don't have to have a good reputation to follow Jesus. You don't have to have it together to follow Jesus. In fact, it's the opposite. You need to recognize how much of a mess you are. Peter and Matthew both realized that they did not have it together, but that Jesus did. And Jesus offered something better for them. So they left their old life to follow Jesus. And this is the reality for you, too. When Jesus calls you to follow him, he's not asking you to abandon everything and live like, like a beggar in the woods. He, he, instead, he's calling you into something better. But you guys know, better always has a cost. Notice what Jesus says in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He said this. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And sometimes we read that verse and we're like, Jesus, that's ridiculous. How could I do this? Like, what does this even look like? It doesn't make any sense. And I, I want to show you this, this graphic we've got here. I think this is what Jesus is saying. For some reason, it's blue. I'm not sure why it's blue. But it is. Here's what Jesus says. Deny yourself, which means that you realize that you aren't king. That Jesus is king. You're not king. Why am I not king? Because I'm a crummy king. I'm a really bad king. I'm not a very good boss. I'm a terrible king. Deny yourself. He says, pick up your cross and follow me, which means that realize that what you want isn't best for you. What Jesus wants is best for you. So the things that you want that you realize aren't best for you, actually set them down and you pick up what Jesus says is best for you. And finally, follow me means that you're following Jesus to something better, something more beautiful, something so much bigger and fulfilling and rich. I love what John Tyson says about this. Notice this. He says this. To be invited by Jesus to be a disciple is to be invited out of mediocrity. Don't we want that? How many of us feel like life's so mediocre at times? It's to be invited out of mediocrity. You're invited into the kingdom of God. You go from fish to men. You go from a couple of dollars to a kingdom. So Jesus' invitation is always for something greater for our hearts. See, this is why it makes sense then, verse 10, back in Luke 5, verse 10, when we see James and John and, and Peter and Andrew, and James and John are with their father Zebedee, and Jesus says to them, don't be afraid, from now on you're going to catch men. You're going to become fishers of men, and notice what, what they do. Verse 11, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything, and they followed him. Doesn't it make sense now why they followed? Because they saw that Jesus it's who they heard he was, and that Jesus was going to lead them to something better, and they left everything. So if you take a note, here's, a, here, here's the next concept I want us to, re to realize is that belief requires action. Not only is, is following Jesus begin with encountering Jesus, but once we encounter Jesus, we have to put that into action. Like we said earlier, belief requires action. I imagine Peter, Andrew, James, and John, the way they fed their families was by being a fisherman. And now they were going to leave that behind. It was going to leave their comfort zone. But they realized that Jesus called them to something better. And it says, Mark says that immediately, they didn't like go home and talk about it. They didn't like write to their pen pal and ask them their opinion. They just left everything and followed. And I think it teaches us this, that you can't follow Jesus and keep living the same way as before. We just can't. Jesus can't provide you the, the, the life that he's created you to live, and yet you keep dilly-dallying around with all the things you used to do. There's got to be 
change. Jesus is showing us that we have to leave our old life behind because the new life is so much better. Following Jesus means, and sometimes it's incremental, it's an inch at a time, it's three steps back and two steps forward and two steps forward and three steps back, but he's changing us from the inside out one step at a time. What I love about this is that they left everything and followed it. It shows us this picture we see throughout the entire Bible is that there's this theme that following Jesus and life change happens through obedience and sacrifice. Jesus says, follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men, and they did. That's obedience. But they left everything. They left the way they were going to make their money, and they left, James and John left their dad, and they followed Jesus, which is sacrifice. So so how do people tell if we're following? Is it because we're wearing a T-shirt or our faces are painted? It's not a jersey. It's not a shirt. They tell you're a follower because of the way you live your life. Did you know the early church in the first century when the church was born was known as the way? Somebody say the way. way. They were known as the, the way. Well, what does that mean? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It meant that they were following the way. It wasn't until Acts 11 that they said that they were called Christians, and Christians were actually a derogatory term at first. So they were following the way that Jesus lived. Because they knew that Jesus offered something so much better. And because of that, it meant a lot of obedience and a lot of sacrifice. So so let me ask you this question. What does it mean to live the way? What does it look like to to follow Jesus, to begin to look more like Jesus? How do we do this? Here's the good news. It's not by your own strength. Because if it was required of us to do our own strength, none of us would ever get there. We'd all fail. Here's the good news. It's God's strength that helps us to follow the way. It's God's strength. If you take a note, write this down. Divinely imputed righteousness. It's a big word. Somebody say that. Divinely Divinely. imputed. And who gives us that? Jesus. You guys missed that one. Who gives us that? There it is. This idea that when we say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and resides with our spirit, and God gives us divinely imputed righteousness, which means through that divinely imputed righteousness, Jesus gives you the power to say no to sin. Jesus gives you the power, like we said last week, to fight temptation. Jesus gives you everything you need to live the Christian life. Is it going to be easy? No way. Is it going to be hard? Yes. Is it simple? Jesus is going to give you everything you need. And so this Jesus is calling us to, to, to follow because God empowers us. Notice this, 2 Corinthians 3.18, I love what Paul says. He says, and we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who gives us the Spirit. This means that God is transforming us from the inside out daily as we allow the Spirit to move in our lives. But... If you're somebody who says yeah, has said yes to Jesus, but you're, you're not allowing the Spirit to move, that you find yourself in a place where you're just a little hesitant to step out and follow, it's like having a 2022 Lamborghini Cyan in your driveway, but yet you're still driving the 72 Ford Pinto. Anybody else here have a 72 Ford Pinto? Anybody else have a 2022 Lamborghini Cyan? Just... I need to go for a ride, if you do. I need to go, so does Ron. We both need to go for a ride. See, I think a lot of a reason that a lot of us leave the Lambo in the driveway is because we think to ourselves that following Jesus is supposed to be easy. So the moment we 
experience some hardship, the moments we realize that we have to give something up, the moment we realize there's a cost, we step back. And we get off the trail. And, and we head home. But here, here's what I want to ask. Where, where did this idea even come from? Because if you look at all the people that really followed Jesus, you're going to see that it was never easy. But it was worth it. I mean, look at Paul. How about Paul? Shipwrecked, beaten, in prison. Peter, crucified upside down. James, bad situation. John, exiled to Patmos, covered in oil and tar. We don't know if he was feathered, but we think he was tarred, right? Like, we don't, like, it was not good. Like, following Jesus is never meant to be easy, but really, nothing easy leads to good, does it? Like, if you go to the gym and you just walk on the treadmill for five minutes, is that going to really get you in shape? Like, if you buy a bunch of kale and you don't eat it, is that, and kale, this is, kale is just bad, right? Let's just be honest. Like, if you're eating kale and drinking seaweed smoothies, I'm praying for you. Like, that's just, that's just not good. But the idea, diet, eating healthy for a long time is hard. Going to the gym and, and pumping iron and, and hitting gains is hard. Like getting out of debt, you guys know that, it's hard. But it's good. Following Jesus, Jesus isn't easy, but it's worth it. Because what Jesus does, when we follow Jesus and we step out in faith, Jesus not only gives us a new name, son, daughter of God. Not only does Jesus give us a new purpose in life to bring glory to God, Jesus also gives a new mission. And that's to bring the kingdom of heaven down. And to be able to take what Jesus has done in our life and tell it to others. So that disciples can make disciples who can make disciples. And it's a beautiful reality that God calls us into. But we can't stop at belief. Because belief and action are tied together. I was reading a story this week about a man by the name of Joseph Strauss. In the 1930s, Here's a picture of Joseph. In 1930s, Joseph Strauss became famous for what's known as movable bridges. And at the time, movable bridges was, it was a new concept. And so uh, the city planners in San Francisco called Joseph and they asked him, they said, we, we, we want to put a bridge over the Golden Gate Strait. And we want to be able to, to connect these two parts of the city. And we don't know how to do it. And we hear that you're the guy. And so Joseph comes out, comes out, and he, at this point, this is the, the greatest distance a bridge is going to span uh, lengthwise and heightwise. This is going to be the biggest bridge ever built. And so he, he goes in and he puts these plans together and he, he de- designs the Golden Gate Bridge. When he designed the bridge, he actually put it, he was the first one to actually put a net under the bridge. So 19 guys fell off, designed this bridge, building it, and they all lived. And so he was just ahead of his time. And so, so now th- there's a statue of Strauss standing outside the Golden Gate Bridge. And so when you look at the Golden Gate Bridge, you see Strauss. And if you know about the Golden Gate Bridge, when you look at the Golden Gate Bridge, you see Strauss. Two have become one. And I wonder, when people look at us, when they see you and they look through you, do they see Jesus? Even if you're wearing a church T-shirt or a WWJD bracelet, your face is painted like, I don't know, William Wallace? I don't know. How, what, what would that look like? Not a Raiders fan, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Do they see Jesus? See, man, isn't, shouldn't that be our hope? That when people see us, they see Jesus. And when people think of Jesus, they think of us. And that, that Christians are the people of God. See, Strauss wasn't the only builder that should be in our minds because Jesus came and he built the bridge over the divide of sin. And when Jesus came and he 
lived a sinless life, met all the requirements we could never meet. When he gave his life on the cross and his blood was spilled for the redemption of sins and the forgiveness of us. And when he rose from the grave and, 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 and defeated death, which means that we can all have new life when we say yes to him. He built the bridge for us to experience richness and fullness in life. And he calls us to follow, to step out and walk over that bridge because we weren't meant to be on the other side. So I, I don't know what you're walking through right now. I don't, I don't know where Jesus is at, but I think for some of you right now, you guys might be sitting and listening. And you, you're like, like James and John, and you're just sitting there listening, and Jesus is saying, get in the boat. Come a little closer. Watch and see. For, for others of you, you might be a place where you, you're out cleaning your nets, and Jesus is nudging you, hey, trust me, let's put the nets out, let's catch some fish. Jesus is saying, lean in and see that I am who I am, and I promise everything I promise to you. And then I think for a lot of us, Jesus is saying, guys, it's time to get out of the boat. You've been sitting and watching. You've been cheering and clapping. But it's time to step out and follow. And when you do, you're going to see Jesus do something amazing in your life and amazing in your world. So let's be followers who step out and follow. Would you pray with me?